0: we got a mailbag episode today. We'll answer a hypothetical world juniors team for Russia uh, and a lot more on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects.
1: You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and on today's show, we'll be breaking down our mailbag questions uh, for today's show. We've got a bunch of them to go through, uh, but we're going to start off with a really interesting one. We'll draft a hypothetical Russian team for the World Juniors We'll sift through the under 20 prospects for Russia and see which ones would be able to form a decent lineup for Russia. Um, in this hypothetical world juniors, again, they're out of this because of obvious reasons, everything that happened in Ukraine. Um, but yeah, we'll get through that and a couple more uh, questions in our first segment. In our second segment, we'll discuss a particular question that was asked regarding what we kind of, uh, mean by a player who plays a junior style game. I'll get into what that means, how it, how it, kind of represents itself on the ice and break that down as well. And in our final segment, we'll discuss a couple more questions, including another really interesting one where we talk about if drafting by positional need has ever worked for teams. But before we get into that, make sure to like, and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us a comment, letting us know what you want us to talk about next, or if you have questions for our future mailbag, uh, leave them down below. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. So Sebastian, let's start off with uh, the first big question that we got here. Um, by Andrew Cameron, who asked us to draft a hypothetical team for Russia at the World Juniors. Um, Let's talk about this forward core, because there are some really interesting names in there, but I think the main issue is there aren't many centers that really make sense for this team, right?
1: There's a clear lack of centers and right-shot defensemen in this lineup, uh, but a lot of skill, and it's very fun. I think that you'd have to get a bit creative of like which wingers you kind of uh, move to the center. So for our first-line we actually have Gleb Trukhazov as our first line center, which is not where he plays most of his hockey, but uh, he's centering uh, Matt Bay Michkov and Ivan Marashnichenko uh, in our in our lineup here, where we think we have a good mix stylistically and in terms of potential roles. A lot of firepower. Three of the best shooters in this entire lineup on the fir- on that first line, but they're all really quite versatile. Uh, I mean, Marashnichenko probably has the least playmaking ability of the trio, but. Uh, that that is totally fine and uh it, it it looks like it functions stylistically now the bigger question is just how well trick is off and play down the middle and support defensively uh, at the center position but yeah. as a first line it's the best that we, we thought that we were able to do here
0: yeah absolutely and uh, you'll notice a a trend in this lineup as well we've got like a boatload of uh carolina hurricanes prospects because Cause they always pick the best Russians. Yeah, absolutely shocking. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's not a shocker that Glepchuk is obviously here for me. Um, I've always been a big fan of his. And if you're picking centers for Russia, he's probably up there with the best. Um, but on his, on his wings, obviously, I mean, my Mishkov has to be there. He's got 26 points and 30 games in the KHL. This is not fair. Like this is yeah. yeah. And he somehow slipped to seventh overall, uh, which does not make sense on any level for me. Um, but yeah, I mean with Sochi's been absolutely ridiculous. Twenty-six points in twenty-nine games, eleven goals, fifteen assists. All of his points have come with um with uh, HK Sochi. He played one game with SKA, played like five minutes, and they were like, Nope, you're going to, to Sochi. Um in the middle of nowhere in 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 Siberian Russia. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's so weird. Um what, what SKA has been doing with Michikov in terms of his ice time and all that. But yeah, and Sochi, they give him the reins and he does what he does. Um, but yeah, yeah. after that, I guess a bit interesting. On our second line, we've got Daniel Boot, um, big boy, uh, drafted by Arizona, surprise, surprise, centered by Timur Mikonov, um, and Ivan Demidov, the twenty twenty four NHL draft eligible on the right wing. I think that this line can do some great things together. Um Boot and Demidov complimentary-ish, um with Mukhanov in the middle who who was probably one of my favorite prospects from last year um and this is a player who he he mans he, he takes his defensive responsibilities more seriously than i've seen any like he he battles like tooth and nail for every puck in the defensive zone mm. and i really like that cuz he's like he's one of those undersized feisty guys which he, he can't not root for them right
1: He is a very likeable player. I think everyone that has uh, watched him extensively is a pretty big fan or at the very least respects his style a lot. Yeah in a lineup that's lacking centerman, uh Mukhanov can really put in a good shift on a second line. He's not going to he wouldn't be the, the primary point scorer on that line like it, it's going to be mainly Bootin meet Meethof with the creativity and the offensive flair, but Mukhanov would be able to win those board battles, get get down into the slot and uh, do all the uncomfortable work as well as support defensively. So uh, I think that it actually works quite nicely here as a trio, uh but this is also kind of where the elite offensive skill kind of ends in this forward core. But the third line is still a really solid third line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. you have got Alexander Rykov. I mean, Tumor McConnell, by the way, is of the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I think Alexander Rykov is as well.
1: He is as well. um,
0: And Alexander Peritovalov is <laughs> <Yep. laughs> also a Carolina Hurricane. I mean, Carolina has all top three centers in this in this their lineup. But it's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. But then on the right wing, we've got Igor Rameshevsky, the uh, San Jose Sharks prospect. Um, and yeah this is a balanced line not a lot of offense but they can give in a good shift they've got decent effort levels and yeah i I think they can work well together um and then our fourth line would be kirill dolzhenkov the massive massive forward um who who drafted columbus pick columbus Columbus. pick. that's right um centered by nikita artemanov who is a 2024 prospect who's playing on in the same lineup, in the same um, team as um, Anton Selayev. Both of them are set to be probably top 20 picks in this upcoming draft. And yeah, Artemanov, I think he offers a, a decent level of effort, a decent level of intensity, great forechecking, and decent puck skills. Um, I think he could even make his way up the lineup to the third line, or maybe even the second, if something doesn't yeah, work out too well. For sure. Um, and to the right, we've got Roman Koncerov. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think this is a more, I, I think this is a less strong lineup than we've seen in recent years. Uh, but overall, Decent enough to have a good impact. I mean, yeah, Kanzarov is a, uh, off,
1: like yeah. That alone will <laughs> that
0: help. alone will be nice. That alone <laughs> will be very very nice. Uh, but yeah, Kansarov is a Chicago Blackhawks prospect who has eight points in thirty four games in the KHL right now. Um, yeah, so we we've mainly settled for drafted prospects, but we know Russia. They always bring. Two or three undrafted guys who are playing really good seasons in Russia, um, either in the KHL or the VHL. And they bring them over and they do a good job. But as a 13th forward, we went for a player who's playing in North America, an Adar Suniev. Um, talk with your Adar Suniev. You're a big fan of his in this draft year, right?
1: Yeah, I've always been a big fan of his brain and his effort level. And he's a really good shooter on top of that. He has a foundation that I think translates to a really, really cohesive NHL role. Now, yeah. the skating still has a long way to go. And he came off to a pretty slow start to his NCAA career, but he's really picked it up in the last month. And he's producing Mm -hmm. a lot more. He's settling in uh, to NCAA hockey, getting used to the pace because pretty big adjustment going from the BCHL to the NCAA in terms of pace, uh, especially when your skating ability is uh, way subpar. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, he's a really good fit here for, for this 13 forward role because he is so versatile. He's a really good goal scorer. He can chip in with some, some depth goal scoring or fill in in a top six if you need him to, uh, mm-hmm. while also providing a lot of defensive stability and intelligence on the back end if you just wanted to chip away in a bottom six role.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's go through our Ds quickly. Dmitry Simashev, I think, is a lock, lock for the top pair. Um, okay. You push for Artem Duda on the top pair here. Um, I'm not on that page mainly because I'm a really big fan of Vladimir Grudinian, and he, he this is his last year of eligibility, but I, sure. I, I, full, I fully get it. But that second pairing, I think, is going to be really nice. And Anton Salaev and Vladimir Grudinian. Um, That's yeah. going to be a fun combination of skill sets. And then our All last pair... Exactly. But um, our third pair has the only right D of this lineup. Uh, we've got Mikhail Guliaev on the left side and right-handed defenseman Artyom Barabosha of the New Jersey Devils on the right side with Alexander Pelvin again, of the Carolina Hurricanes um, as the seventh defenseman. And then in goal, Sergey Ivanov is a big name, right? I mean, his 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 For numbers sure. so far in the KHL are off the charts. The Columbus pick has a 937 save percentage in 19 KHL games as a 19-year-old. It, what? It's like not bad. Just... <laughs> yeah. Sergey Murashov would be the backup, in my opinion. 925 save percentage in two games uh, in the KHL. He's a Pittsburgh Penguins pick. And then finally, we've got Igor Zavrogan, who's been pretty good as well. That wraps things up for our first segment. Um, we'll talk about some more questions we got in our second segment regarding uh, a, a variety of things from our definition of what a junior style game is um, to some of the admissions from Canada. We'll get into that right after these messages from our sponsors over at Sleeper.
1: The new NHL season is here and it comes with all sorts of possibilities. Your favorite team could hoist the Stanley Cup. Connor Bedard score 50 goals, and you can get in on the action by joining Sleeper. Sleeper is our number one choice at the Locked On NHL Network for your needs in daily fantasy hockey and daily fantasy sports overall, but our focus here is on hockey. Uh, to win 100 times your money on Sleeper, all you need to do is correctly predict the outcome of eight specific player stats. Now, those can be anything you want, whether you are betting on the stars of the league to score a hat-trick or, I don't know, the youngsters of the league to get in on the action with the point total, Uh, the choice is yours with Sleeper. So use promo code LOCKEDONNHL and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code LOCKEDONNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details and locational availability.
0: All right. So moving on to our second segment, we'll discuss some more questions we got in our mailbag episode. I want to start off real quick with a question from Wade Messier, who's our North American crossover scout uh, over at Dopper Prospect, who asks us, what do you make of the big names such as Andrew Crystal, Kobe Barlow, and Riley Height not even getting World Junior Camp invites? Um yeah, I think Andrew Crystal not even getting an invite is shocking because he's been yeah. extremely good in his post-draft campaign um, with the Kelowna Rockets. He's been, you know, once, since he's been paired with Tejaganlo, who's probably going to be a top twenty pick in this past, in this, in this uh, next draft. The two of them have combined for really good production. I think the issue with Crystal is, I don't, I don't think. Canada was banking on him out dethroning the top six and he can't play yeah. bottom six minutes. It's just not no. his game. Uh and I think this the same goes for height regarding what we discussed with Crystal. It's just yeah, he's a player who plays really well in a top six role. I think he has a lot more um he's got he's got a lot more temper, I think, than than Crystal, for sure. Like for he sure. he would have been a a great like post whistle post whistle scrum starter in the bottom six, but that's about it. Um, But moving on to our next question, I think this one's really interesting from Finco over on Twitter. Um, Can you go into some depth about what you mean by a, quote, junior's game or style of playing? What are the most common habits or indicators of that and or which ones give you the most concern that a player's skills won't translate to pro? Um, It's a big one. I I think that, you know, the main thing that stands out when we're talking about a junior's style um, is a player who doesn't really cut to the inside, is is more more peripheral. Um, So stays to the outside and makes plays outward rather than inward when he's stick handling in transition you know a lot of these junior players have a lot of skill but the habits aren't quite there the main things i look for is cutting to to, cutting to the inside um being able to play inside contact having the habit of checking your shoulder before retrievals um and you know catching pucks in your hip pocket are the main ones um you know I, i think of trevor conley trevor conley plays a junior game because he he often cuts to the outside. He often tries to overwhelm with pure skill. It's not necessarily outthinking your opponents, but just outskilling them because you've got the hands for it. Um now the other thing I look for which is more what is discussed um behind the curtains and off ice is does a player is does a player like perform better in training or in practice than he does in game? Because that's a big indicator. Um but yeah do you have anything else you'd add to that list?
1: I think you you covered most of it like I think like inconsistency in habits would be one big thing like yeah. if you see a, a massive variance in how a player plays and like, like what they're trying to do game to game I think that being able to consistently put in good performances is always telling of a player that is more pro ready uh, but I think like for, for the most part you, you can cover it quite well there for
0: sure. Uh, but moving on to our next question here from Taylor Finley, who do you think will make the quickest fantasy impact from the 2024 NHL draft? I think there's two names that stand out right away. Um, obviously Macklin Celebrini at the top of this draft, I'm fairly sure he's going to be a plug-and-play player. We're going to be playing in, At least he's, he's going to get a stint in his uh, in his first year in the NHL and then maybe move down to the AHL, something like that. Um, but the other name is a bit off the board, Michael Brantzak-Nugard, um, the Russian, uh, Russian, wow, Norwegian uh, winger for, who's playing in the Swedish second division right now. He's already playing a pro game. He's already one of the best players and more and most mature and reliable players on his team. Uh, in Mora, in the Alsvenskan, yeah. and yeah, he's probably. I think this tournament is going to boost him into top five conversation among NHL scouts, because like I see him discussed a lot in public circles. Um, but from what I've heard, NHL teams haven't really caught on to that. So I think this tournament is going to be a, a bolster for him. And yeah, if he's especially if he's drafted in the top five, I think there's no doubt he makes the NHL off-rip. Um, he's the most likely after celebrating for me to make that cut. Um, is there anyone else, though, that you put in that conversation? Maybe Sam Dickinson?
1: Yeah, not, I don't know. Like with defensemen, it's difficult. Like, yeah. when was the last time we saw a defenseman jump to the NHL in their first year? Was it True. Darlene? Right? Yeah, like, well, it's been a while. Like, not even Owen Power did. Right. So it's, it's been a while since we've seen a defenseman be able to make that jump so early. And I, I, I much as I like Sam Dickinson, I don't think he's going to be the player that breaks that trend
0: yeah for sure makes sense um other than that um uh, let's look at our next question here from josh lee who asks has will smith looked underwhelming compared to his line mates uh considering his draft position a slightly word sharks fan josh lee um no
1: no, no. He,
0: he's, he's tied for second in scoring on a really 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 good team uh i'm not worried at all um yeah. you know he, he's on par with and Jimmy he, he really wasn't
1: he wasn't ahead of Perot in scoring last year either in the NTDP, yeah. and despite that, he was by far picked ahead of him, right? Like, yeah. like point production is one facet, but in terms of projection, it, Smith is definitely self-projecting ahead of, of of his his linemates there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're if you put all the Boston College guys in one draft, I'm picking Will Smith first every time. Like, he is good, um, so I wouldn't be too concerned. Um, but our final question of the second segment. Xavier Zion asks on Twitter, what is your one to two year outlook for Olin Zellweger um, now that Pavel Minchikov is already on the first power play at 19 years old? Um, That's a good question. I think that with Olin Zellweger, you're almost definitely getting a top three defenseman. He's going to play in the top half of your minutes among your defensemen. I think it's more likely than not that he ends up being your second power play guy and ends up sharing ice time. Um, with with Minchikov back and forth throughout his first couple of seasons until the Anaheim Ducks settle on a true first power play guy. Like, Minchikov has that talent, but so does Olin Zellweger. You cannot sleep on this guy's talent. Um, I just think that with Minchikov doing a good job on that first power play, probably Zellweger ends up being their you know top pair defenseman with second power play minutes or something like that, or the opposite with Minchikov. Um, but yeah, what do you think about those two? And would they be able to play on the on the same line, or is that just too chaotic?
1: it'd Be fun. I'd love to see yeah. it. I don't, I don't know if a coach would like it too much, but it'd be entertaining. Yeah. And and both players are smart and mobile enough to make up for mistakes and and to mitigate risks. So for sure, I, I'd give it a go. I I don't know how optimistic I'd be that it would stick long term. uh yeah. But I, yeah, I think at this point it, it, it's looking like minty cause is, is projecting ahead in the lineup of Zeljegger and. Over the summer, that was still seeming like a coin toss. And, yeah. of course, Miku has more pro-ready tools in terms of physicality and things that Zellweger doesn't. So it makes sense that he's the first one to break into the lineup. And that gives him an advantage, too, of kind of settling into that that, that top role while Zellweger is still in the AHL. But yeah, I, I'm not giving up on the chances of Zellweger leapfrogging leapfrogging Mintyukov in that lineup either. I think it's entirely still possible. I probably give it a 70-30 chance that that Mintukov ends up as the the top left shot defenseman among those two guys. But yeah. uh if Zellager ends up being a number three, you have one of the better number threes in the league if he keeps uh, progressing and projecting as he currently does.
0: Oh, for sure. I'm just saying, like, if if (laughs) if the head coach puts them together, you better have Rogaine on tap because, like, you're you're losing your hair for sure. I mean, they're they're chaotic. Like, they're really really fun, but man. Uh, But yeah, that wraps these up for our second segment. We'll get into a couple final questions uh, in here in our third segment. Make sure to stick all the way to the end. We've got some really, really interesting ones, including a discussion on whether BPA works or if positional need, drafting for positional need, has ever worked in the NHL. We'll get into that right after these messages from our sponsors over at FanDuel.
1: As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 bucks if your team wins that you can spend on anything, ranging from spreads to player props to over and unders and far more. Whether you want to bet on your favorite team to win the Super Bowl this year or your least favorite quarterback to throw three interceptions in the next game, the choice is yours. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL.
0: All righty, so let's close things off with some final questions here from our listeners on this mailbag segment uh, of Locked On NHL Prospects. Let's start things off with a question from Jimmy Burnsey, which I find fa- fairly interesting. Do teams typically perform better long-term by picking the best player available or based on positional need at the draft? We were talking about this before the episode and trying to figure out what angle to take upon this. Um, we tried to look at teams that won the Stanley Cup recently to see if they had made any positional need picks that ended up paying off. Couldn't really find any. I think the argument is simple. When Tampa Bay picked Nikita Kucherov in the second round um, of the, what was it, 2014 NHL draft? Around 20, there, yeah.
1: Something
0: like that. They weren't picking for positional need. They saw a player with high upside and went for him. And that's the difference maker. For cup winning teams is when especially when it reach the second, third, fourth round, like obviously it's important to have a generational player who we can pick like first overall or in the top five, and he revolutionizes your franchise and makes you a, a, a contender. But when you're able to nail those later round picks, I'm thinking of Boston with David Parsonark as well. Like that pick was fantastic. Um it, it's really important to go for those high upside players and not worry too much about positional need because. Do you know what your need is going to be three, four years from now? And if you do, then you're smart enough to figure out not to pick for those needs because you can you can you can kind of predict for them and either draft later in the rounds accurately, or you know go on the free agent market and find someone who's going to fit that need, or just via trade like bolstering your team. I think about how the Colorado Avalanche picked up um, Devon Taves for two second round picks. Like those are the yeah like. Right? I, I, how, what do you think, though?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm with you on it. I I think my, my philosophy with drafting is pretty straightforward. I yeah. want my team to to be able to land the player with the highest potential upside. Obviously, balancing it out with likelihood and of course positional need comes into the equation as a tiebreaker if you have a couple players that are like really 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 tight and you don't know how to like differentiate between them and who who you want to add then position is a pretty important one to to go for like for instance if if the Montreal Canadiens are heading up to the to the podium to draft a player and they have two potential candidates one's a left shot defenseman one's a right shot defenseman Of course, you're going to be going with the right shot at defenseman if it's that tight between the two. But if you're picking a player who is a specific position just because it fulfills a need that your team has right now and you're passing on players that have higher upsides and team needs shift year to year, let alone within two, three, four years, which is the timeline that prospects take to become impactful or even like complementary pieces at the NHL level it makes it difficult because it can really be like blinding of, of focusing like hyper-focusing on your needs right now when you're drafting, but you're only going to be getting these players in a handful of years. And if your if you're, like, your team needs change so many times between uh, between those uh, those times, right? Like it, yeah. <laughs> you can't really be be drafting for current need all the time because, especially in today's NHL, it's taking longer than ever for players to develop to the point of reaching the NHL because it's just so competitive nowadays. So it takes a while for players to be ready, and by that point, the team needs have shifted significantly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the the closing argument I have for this is in 2016, the St. Louis Blues picked Tage Thompson 26th overall in the 2016 entry draft. He probably should have gone higher than that because he, he was still valued. Um, in in his draft year, uh, they went for the best player available. What did they do then in 2018? They traded Tage Thompson along with two roster players and two picks to the Buffalo Sabers for Ryan O'Reilly, and then they won the Cup. Best player available gets you gets you a lot of return, um and and works really well. So yeah, I, I think that's the plan. Uh, but moving on to our next question here, um stay tuned. Hockey asks, where would you have Oliver Moore and or and or Nate Danielson in a 2023 redraft? I'm still on the fence with Nate Danielson. I'm not you know I wasn't high on him in his draft year and I still am not. Um I think there's clear limitations to his offensive game. Uh but yeah I th- I think. Maybe like the twenty to thirty range would still be realistic for Nate Danielson. I I did not have him going ninth overall, but Oliver Moore. I think we all know how we feel about Oliver Moore, right?
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm still a big fan of Oliver Moore. I mean, he's he's off to a slower start. He has twelve points in eighteen games so far, only two goals, um, but. He's he's a really, really, really fun player to watch. He's such an elite skater, he's such a creative playmaker, he's such a good defensive center. He can do so many different things, and yeah. with him, you're getting such a nice baseline of you're getting a defensive third line center at the very least. Now, would I still be ranking him just as high as I did on draft day, which was seventh overall? Probably not. Like I'd, I'd probably bump him down to like the, the 12 to 13, 14 range. Uh, but that might also be a bit reactionary. I mean, 18 games played since being drafted really isn't that much. But yeah, it's a pretty it was a pretty tight class in that in that range. And I think that I, while I had him ranked in the same tier as Will Smith, that would no longer be the case now.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, But yeah, and just to close things off, we got a final question from Al Ferguson. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time for this. Um, What do you think of Luke Tuck? <clears throat> Projected
1: potential center? first, uh, fourth liner, maybe big yeah. maybe because he's physical and he has the family lineage. I think that that gives him a, a leg up on a lot of the competition for fourth line roles in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and he is playing some significantly better hockey this season than last year. There's progression there for sure. Yeah, do I think he gets a contract with the Montreal Canadiens? I don't know. He might get flipped, he might get flipped for a draft pick. Um, or maybe for a different position of need, I don't know. But yeah. uh... Yeah, like the the Montreal Canadiens are not an organization where it's easy to break through as a young potential fourth liner Yeah, uh, because there just is so much depth of talent and uh, the Habs need the high-end guys, but they have a glut of of potential bottom sixers and bottom pair defensemen. So it's going to be tough for Tuck in Montreal, but if he gets traded or he doesn't get signed by Montreal, then I think it's immediately a, a bit more likely that he's able to get at least a shot at a bottom six role.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. I I don't think there's really much in Luke Tuck's game that makes me go, wow, okay, there's top nine potential here. Um, But he's got the physical tools, and he's got a a decent and unoverwhelming level of abilities that could see him kind of land a fourth line ring roll and kind of run with it. Um, I do think the Habs sign him, mainly because I don't think the Habs have really taken... I mean, I, I don't remember the last time the Habs have... Uh, let a player go without at least maximizing his, his asset value and giving him a shot in the pros. Um, the last time was probably like 2017, 2018. It's been a while since we've let a player go just like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious to see where he goes and how he plays in the AHL because there have been some progressions in this game, but not enough for me to be kind of impressed really, so and and even when he's playing with Macklin Celebrini he still looks like the, the side piece to that dish, so yeah, I mean, we'll see where that goes, but that wraps things up for today's show, thank you very much for tuning in if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next and if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform make sure to make us your first listen of the day for your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today. It's got all your news and updates about what's going on around sports 24 hours a day. And make sure to tune in for our next shows as we continue our prospects coverage and uh, ramp up the coverage as we head into the World Juniors. This has been Hattie Kalakesh with Sebastian High. And we
1: hope you tune in next time.